Hello and welcome to the show that's already broken three of its New Year's resolutions. It's going to make it four as soon as that drinks globe arrives. It was date night last night, me and Matt Stanger, who went to watch Ipswich at Fulham. It did not go well for Ipswich. It wasn't going well for Plymouth Argyle this season, but they had a very happy Christmas indeed. Are they going to survive? And while we're out west, what's going on at Yeovil? Are they going to get sucked back in? Producer Ben is no more. Behold the glorious new reign of producer Tayo. We've got a new section. We've got Joe Crilly from William Hill. We've got Ali from Not The Top 20. We've got the Fan League. We're halfway through the season. It's the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Morning all. Good morning. It's been a long time since we all saw each other. Ali, you were with us at, uh, at Craven Cottage yeah, last night. I wish you told me it was a date between you and Matt before I decided to third wheel. But uh... No, no, it's all right. We're very open on these things. We're, very we, modern. Well, yeah, I mean, Adam Bate was a friend of the show, Adam Bate. It was, a, it was a great big day out. Real lads on tour. Yeah. I've got to say, it, you know, because I am now an ex-football journalist. Mm. Um, so this was the first time in a very, very long time that I've actually just gone to watch a game without having to write a thousand words on the full-time whistle. It was, I, c- I can see why people like it. You it did was... come up with a dozen lines, though, and you had your laptop there. <laughs> now you're just going to say a thousand words. <laughs> oh, at the very, very least. Um, we're going to talk a bit more about that game in, in, in a bit. We're, we're also joined by Joe Crilly. Joe, your New Year's Eve, um, you told us last time out you were going to spend just playing football manager with your mate. How did it go? Oh, it was wild. Uh, I mean, you should have been there. You should have seen the, the carnage that ensued. Uh, we we very nearly finished a full season. That's uh, amazing. I know. It, was, it, it, it takes me six hours to do pre-season. Well, do you know what it is? When when you're playing with somebody else, you want to... You want to crack on. Yeah. yeah you, crack you, you, on you and get it done. You want to hold those guys up. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we, we raced through it a little bit, but uh, it was... Uh, it was all good. <laughs> no worries. I'll tell you what, let's, um, let's say hello as well to producer Tayo. Uh, Tayo, welcome to the team. Thanks for having me and Happy New Year, everyone. I'm sorry I missed the date last night. Sounds like a good one. It, it was it was sensate. There was beer. There was, uh, you weren't like not invited for any reason, just to be clear. You know, it's not like a, we've got an initiation ceremony coming up for you after the show. <laughs> with paddle boards. <laughs> let's get cracking with our new News in Brief section. Mark Warburton and Frank McParland have paid the price for Nottingham Forest's inconsistency. A run of one win in seven and the indignity of a home defeat to Sunderland ended their reign at the city ground. Itor Karanka is a favourite to take over, though Nigel Clough is polling well on the Nottingham Post website. You know who the leader in the poll is, Matt? Nope. Martin O'Neill. Sheffield Wednesday, they're in the market for a new manager too, though they've already filled the chief executive role with former Cholton CEO, Katrine Mayer. Hmm. Favourite for the manager's job though, Paul Lambert. Now, not everyone who spent time with their family over the holidays can boast a story like this. Preston North End's Kevin O'Connor was bought a lottery ticket by his uncle in Castlebridge, County Wexford as a present, and he only bloody won, one million euros, which is about £900,000 in Brexit money. Um, he nearly missed out on it too. O'Connor um, was, was reminded to check his numbers by his mum. He says uh, very diligently that his main focus is on helping Preston climb the championship and hopefully challenge for a Premier League spot over the next couple of months. 
we will certainly be keeping an eye on the Preston North End car park to see how much truth there is in that. There are more warming family stories from Forest Green Rovers where father and son both saw red in their 2-1 defeat away to Wickham Wanderers. Manager Mark Cooper was sent to the stands after protesting the sending off of his son Charlie. Well done all. And drone stopped play. We'll hear more about this later. During the 2-1 defeat to Crawley, uh, Yeovil and Crawley players forced to leave the pitch with nine minutes to go in the scores level. Uh, advice of the police, apparently. Crawley manager Harry Kiel said the unexpected timeout worked in his team favour, giving him a chance to refocus his players. And he was rewarded with uh, Thomas Verhaid's winner eight minutes into injury time. That is your news in brief. Nottingham Forest, so Ali, um, Mark Warburton, Frank McParland. I mean, they're a funny one because whenever I've watched them, they've they, they look like there's a good team in there. Lots of exciting young players. Is this a bit harsh? It it looks that way, doesn't it? And you're right to say that they they do play an exciting brand of football with a large number of young players. A lot of whom have come through the academy, which is obviously among the most sort of storied and famous academies in English football and continues to produce quality like Ben Brereton, Matty Cash, Joe Worrell, to name just a few. The results had been really poor for about six, seven weeks or so. And I wonder whether the new owners who, you know, spoke a very good game when they arrived and they, they, they came across like they would be very level-headed and, you know, wouldn't be quite as trigger-happy as the former owner. Um, but, you know, they've sort of shown their, shown their cards now because, you know, one... Poor run and, and, and Warburton's out the door and I think it does seem a little bit harsh. Yeah, they're going to have to make sure this next appointment works. Joe, over at William Hill, um, what, what, what do the books say for his replacement? Uh, well, as you mentioned, Ito Karanka is the six to five favourite, so he's uh, very much uh, ahead of the, uh, the pack there. Uh, Oscar Garcia, who spent a season at Brighton, is four to one. Uh, along with Paul Heckingbottom, who's at Barnsley. Uh, but as you mentioned as well, Nigel Clough, his name comes up every single time the Forest job is available. Uh, he's 6-1. to one. You've got former Forest player Roy Keane. They're, they're a, t- a club with such a storied history uh, and with such a, a number of former players that, that could potentially take over. Martin O'Neill as well, 16-1. to one. Um, the, 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 You do often see these names thrown in every single time that the uh, the job becomes available. But Ita Karanka, very much the uh, front runner. Nigel Clough's turned it down before Matt but Karanka that's an interesting shout he got Borough up yeah absolutely and um, I think Forest uh, board have been sort of briefing that they've got a big name lined up and Karanka would certainly be that and, and you look at their defensive record this season they've conceded 42 goals and that's exactly what Karanka's going to turn around straight away if he comes in now Sheffield Wednesday Katrine Mayer formerly of Cholton um, I don't like to judge people on the show but um, but it hadn't gone well for her um, I don't think there, there were too many leaving parties being thrown after her, well, for her, <laughs> quite possibly after she left. Um, what's the thinking here? Yeah, it's a PR disaster for Sheffield Wednesday at the moment, isn't it? Uh, appointing a chief exec who was constantly at war with the Charlton fans, showing a spell there. Lots of accusations about her, her inexperience in the role. And uh, there's a clip actually doing around on social media at the moment of a, a panel event where she refers to fans as customers, which, which never goes down well. Yeah. And she also says it's weird that fans feel a sense of ownership towards their football club. So doesn't really get it, I don't think. No, no, um, not a particularly easy job, the chief executive role of a, a championship football club. But it, it does help if you come in with some initial understanding there. Uh, good luck, Katrine. <laughs> good luck. Um, any uh, any idea for next Sheffield Wednesday manager? Paul Lambert seems to be leading the way. Who would you go for? 
Well, Lambert did a decent job at Blackburn when he, when he came in there and uh, we were all pretty disappointed to see him leave, actually. But uh, I think he just decided that under the Venkies he, he found it too difficult a job to work. Uh, he would certainly keep them in the division and avoid uh, you know any threat of relegation this season sliding down after that defeat to Burton at home the other day but I don't know I mean I would look for a younger manager myself we mentioned Paul Hurst last week and look to build something Joe uh, yeah Paul Lambert is 1-3 to three, which is the price that Steve McLaren was when we last spoke uh, last week uh, Steve McLaren has drifted to 4-1 to one. Uh, Paul Hurst is in from 25-1 to one to 14-1. to one. But I, I, I posted a couple of days ago because Paul Lambert came in from 20-1 to one into 4-6 to six over the space of about three or four hours uh, on New Year's Eve, I think it was. Uh, and I, I, I put something on Twitter and a few, um, a few fans got in touch and said that they wouldn't particularly like Paul Lambert. He, I think given the couple of seasons that Wednesday have had moving into the playoffs uh, in the last couple of years, uh, and Paul Lambert didn't really do too well at Wolves with some of the players that they brought in uh, I think they would want somebody slightly more ambitious who would be looking up the table uh, rather than uh, consolidating despite the fact that they are just the five points away from the drop zone. Ali, Paul Hurst is basically living his own personal brilliant football manager game. Started in non-league got Grimsby up um, doing incredibly well with Shrewsbury right now. Do you think he could handle a job like Sheffield Wednesday? He's handled all the jobs he's had so far and there aren't many managers with an unblemished managerial record in the Football League because they so often get sacked when when things don't go well. So out of all the candidates, I I suppose he'd probably be a little bit outside of the norm of the the same old names that we're always seeing. But this is a club that needs a bit of an overhaul of a squad, which is ageing, but in the short term just need to make sure they don't get sucked into that relegation battle. So it depends whether the owners are thinking short term or mid to long term trying to build something a little bit different. Well, right now, the way results have been, they could get sucked into a relegation battle. They're only six points above the drop zone. Let's take a closer look at the championship. Tyo, bring up the anthemic music. New Year's are supposed to be filled with hope and aspiration, but there was nothing but despair for three of the division's biggest clubs. Sunderland demonstrated once again that reports of their revival were overstated. They lost at home to Barnsley. Managerless Sheffield Wednesday, as we've just been hearing, managed to lose 3-0 at home to a Burton side that is refusing to go quietly into the night. And Aston Villa, where did this come from? Battered Bristol City 5-0. What did Santa have in his sack for Bolton? Three wins out of four over Christmas as the Trotters edged out Hull 1-0 on New Year's Day. While high-flying Derby had to settle for a point at home to Sheffield United, who pegged back the Rams with an equaliser from Leon Clark. And Leeds could only draw 0-0 with managers for Nottingham Forest. As you've already heard, uh, last night Fulham tore Ipswich apart in a spectacular seven-minute spell at Craven Cottage. They move up to 10th. Brentford became the latest team to fail to stop Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves are now 12 points clear of Derby at the top. They should probably start planning for the Premier League now. And we all wrote Birmingham off last week in our prediction show. We said they were getting relegated. Were we hasty? The Blues moved off the bottom with a fine 2-0 win at Reading. Norwich avenged their 4-0 thrashing at Millwall earlier in the season with a 2-1 win at Carroll Road, while a Tony Pulis revolution is underway at Middlesbrough, who beat Preston 3-2 thanks to a couple of goals from centre-half Daniel Ayala. And it's now four defeats in a row for Cardiff, who threw away the lead in a 2-1 defeat at QPR. All right, last night, as we said, we were all in force at Craven Cottage uh, to watch Ipswich, which was kind of a thankless task because they barely touched the ball 
uh, in the first half, right up until the moment where they took the lead. Uh, and then they got torn apart in uh, seven minutes in the second half. Interestingly, just seconds after I'd turned to Matt and said, you can see it in Fulham's eyes, they've lost all belief. Uh, yeah, as accurate as ever. Um, let's let's talk about Fulham very, very briefly, um, because they had all of the ball. That was Their first half was basically Fulham in a nutshell, wasn't it? They dominated plays, stretching Ipswich all over the place and managed to go in 1-0 down. Uh, I think you're, you weren't far wrong saying they'd lost all belief. Maybe that was slightly a step too far. But genuinely, at 11 v 11, it, it didn't look like Fulham were, were going to be roaring back into that game. Ipswich's game plan had, had worked perfectly and it wasn't a pretty game plan, but it involved trying to win free kicks basically anywhere in Fulham's half uh, from which they scored a goal on the stroke of half time. So you, you can't really fault Ipswich's uh, style when it was getting a result that they probably wouldn't have got if they tried to match Fulham for, for passing and moving. Movement, which we know Fulham are very good at but yeah it was classic Fulham in that first half and I think the four goal period has papered over some cracks for me. Matt um, two goals for Abu Bakar Kamara um, clearly a talent on the rise. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting uh, opinion about that um, yeah I mean I, I saw the first off slightly differently to, to be honest I, don't, I know we're all sitting there together but it's a game of opinions isn't it and uh, I actually thought Fulham did pr- quite well in the first like quarter of an hour or so to get round the Ipswich defence which was very deep on a few occasions and Luke Chambers made a couple of decent blocks which which we pointed out but Kamara I mean he missed that sitter didn't he right in front of us where he just had to get something on it and, and it would have given Fulham the lead and then they probably would have gone on from there and, and maybe won 4-0 or something but, um, I've never seen anyone play so badly and still come out and he should have got a hat-trick because he missed a sitter at the end as well. Oh, he missed an absolute sitter, but also it was uh, his uh, involvement in the red card for Jordan Spence as well, chasing back uh, a, a ball in his own half and then getting ploughed into the advertising board. So, so he played his part, definitely. He also, let's be clear, his the first goal, he blocked a shot from a Fulham player um, <laughs> and then stuck it in from half a yard. And his second goal was heavily deflected and left be Bielakovsky no chance. So, you know, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't the most refined finish performance from AK-47. No, I I think that they might be a different team with a different striker somehow, but we'll see how that goes. Anyway, Ipswich, we have loads of messages on Twitter. Should say, by the way, hi to Paul Hankey, our new social media community manager who's uh, with us now. Um, So keep following us on Twitter, which is at The Totally Show, and on Facebook, which is at The Totally Football Show, and Instagram, which is one of the two. You'll find it if you just try hard enough. Um, We uh, will be a lot more active, have a lot more stuff there. Anyway, on the Twitter, uh, I think The Buffet Bowler uh, speaks for all Ipswich fans that got in contact with us, saying, is there a set of fans more bored than Ipswich? Same division for ages, I think 18 years now. No cup runs, minimal entertainment. I'm even bored writing this tweet. Um, are Ipswich boring, Matt? Um, I don't, they've not been boring. I wouldn't say this season. I mean, you know, they've they've had a pretty decent campaign given the amount of investment that they had in the summer. And Mick McCarthy brought in a couple of great players in Waghorn and Joe Garner. And people talk at this stage of the campaign about, oh, we need a goal scorer. That's what we need just to to climb into the playoffs. And he got two there for under one point five million combined. So, I think he's. He's done a decent job again this season, but his relationship with the fans is so strained now, and they, you know, they just don't see it going anywhere. It's been stagnation over the last ten years under Marcus Evans, and they've reached a point where they really need to have some sort of a plan for for where they're heading. 
Uh, Ali, uh, we got another message from Joe Ripcord. Uh, he says, Ipswich look to be going nowhere fast. If you were the owner, what would you do? Go for broke for a tilt at promotion? Change manager? Invest in a long-term youth-focused approach? In fairness, I think they do that already. Uh, propose a merger with Norwich may not be a sensible suggestion from Joe. <laughs> um, what, what would you do? Mick McCarthy is obviously he's out of contract at the end of the season. Mm. Uh, I spoke to him just before Christmas. He said there'd been no approach from the club. There'd been no movement from him. Uh, it was very much a kind of wait and see. Uh, uh, if you were Marcus Evans, what would you do? Yeah, Evans gets a, a fair share of the stick as well for what's going on at Ipswich for that sort of stagnation which always gets mentioned. And I think the important thing when you get relegated from the Premier League is often the first few years. And and they didn't do that well in those first few years. And, and that's really come back to bite them because now they, they are definitely, if not going backwards, standing still, which you can't really do in the Championship. In terms of what I would do, I mean, they're a club that loses around £7 million every year. So... They, they can't compete really financially at this stage in the championship. So what you need to be hoping for is basically a Huddersfield. So if you can set up a recruitment department that can beat everyone else, by which I mean bring in good, young, cheap players that you can either sell on or who somehow get you promoted like Huddersfield did. The only problem with that is that everyone's trying to do that. It's not, it's not as easy as that, although Huddersfield achieved it. That's really what you're hoping for because pound for pound, you're not going to be able to compete. Yeah, I think that's the thing with Ipswich. They really can't compete on, on wages, certainly not on transfer fees. Uh, Oliver Friston tweets to say it's 16 consecutive seasons in the second tier, which is a really good tweet. One, because it's accurate, and two, because it, it, it gives the false impression that we're recording this live and uh, constantly getting feedback from listeners, which which I'm very, very, um, very, very happy about. It could be worse, though. I mean, Oldham have been in League One for, I think, 20 successive seasons now. So, <laughs> Who was it who was in the third division for about 40 years? Was that Rochdale? Rochdale, yeah. 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 Um, could be heading back there very soon as well. Uh, we had another message from Nathan Beals, which is an interesting one. He said, um, do you think Mick McCarthy gets an easy time in the media due to his experience and personality? He also says we've played some of the most negative football in this division for years. I feel this one. Um, I, I think he, he might get an easier deal from the mainstream media because he's a very difficult person to dislike. He's very open, very honest, um, almost always to a fault. Um, and he is the kind of person, he, he has certain values that he puts on his players. He, he wants, if, if they see someone new in the training ground, they have to shake hands, they have to behave in a respectable manner. Honest to God, if I had a kid who was good at football, I'd want them at Ipswich rather than anywhere else. So I think that there might be a sort of subconscious thing. Also, he's you know very, very big and you don't want to get on the wrong side of him. Um, but that is going to wear off and it certainly seems like it's worn off for the fans. Um, Matt, what would you do? Uh- <laughs> It's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because he has done a good job there, if you look at it objectively. Like Ali said, it feels like they're moving backwards a bit. I mean, they got in the playoffs in 2014-15 when they lost to Norwich and they finished seventh the season after and then they drifted and then they'd lower mid-table last year. So it does feel as if they need some sort of a change, something to freshen up. And football's meant to be fun at the end of the day. And if fans are bored, then why not make the change? I understand that, you know, I'm not a moron. It is people's livelihoods and everything else. And Mick McCarthy's dedicated so much service to the game but I think look to build look to build with a, a younger manager who'll come in with, with new ideas put together a two three year plan and then take it from there really because they're not in any risk at the moment of, of being relegated and you perhaps if, if they did make a change I mean I don't think they will in, in the near future but if you're not planning to give McCarthy that contract in the summer why not do it now make that decision give a new man six months to get Ooh. used to the squad Make um, make his plans for the summer, and then next season they can really look to kick on. 
Oh, Matt Stanger calls for the head of Mick McCarthy. That's not exactly what I said. (laughs) Maybe an ex-journalist, but the spirit still runs through my veins. Um, Usually we talk about players who stand out at this point. Last night was a really bad game for finding Ipswich players who stand out. Um, I think Bartosz Bukowski is one of the best keepers in the league. Uh, Is that fair? Yeah, he made a cracking save last night as well, didn't he, that we all uh, put our head in our hands at. Kiefer Moore, he stood out this season. Obviously, he's on loan at Rotherham. but Yeah, well, he's back now, um, but he's conspicuous by his absence. Mick McCarthy um, pretty much confirming last night that he's not going to get picked in the matchday squad because, of course, if he plays for two different teams, um, that's him done. He can't play for anyone else. So. Yeah, I think it was a, there was a quote from McCarthy back in November when they were discussing Kiefer Moore's return, and it sounded pretty clear to me that he, he intends to sell him, raise some funds, and then reinvest that in, in players that he wants. Yep, uh, Luke Chambers I've always been a big fan of and uh, I must mention Dominic Iorfa because before the game in the pub I said look out for Dominic Iorfa he is really really quick and uh, midway through the first half I pointed and shouted look I told you how quick he was and uh, it was Grant Ward and I should probably look at getting glasses <laughs> or, or at least getting a team sheet They've got uh, Callum Conley on loan as well from Everton who uh, was part of England's under 20 World Cup winning squad in the summer uh, he, he's done pretty well he's got a few goals actually recently uh, he was playing fullback in the summer for England uh, when I saw them and uh, he's been playing defensive midfield for Ipswich he didn't have a great game last night but then I'd, I don't think many did in that seven minute period in the second half uh, one final thing to end on because I, I, I have a lot of fondness for Ipswich a really lovely football club their youth teams which who, who generate so many players um, are actually sponsored in some cases by ex-players I think Kieran Dyer is a sponsor of one youth youth team uh, Matt Holland I'm fairly sure is a sponsor of another um, that's the kind of club it is so you know, uh, and, I, I and they're getting only the best well they're getting chances as well they've been quite unlucky with injuries to their young players Teddy Bishop a few years ago looked like one of the brightest young things in English football has suffered horrendous injuries for about two years but he's just about back um, Dozell obviously was, was a, um, Oof, a, a bright yeah. young thing who, who got a horrible injury on the opening day and the two that have played the most this season are Tristan Nydam and Flynn Downs both sent midfield players and they've got some you know they've had some decent time on the pitch but again disrupted by injury so you know probably more than the average EFL team they do give chances to their young players Alright that's Ipswich when we come back after the break we'll be playing the Fan League Listeners you like stats and so do I so have a bang on this one 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one I know Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. It's an FA Cup special on Fan League this week. 13 cup ties on the slip. 12 of them involve football league teams. Um, uh, Let's have a look. We'll start uh, Joe Crilly's Bolton uh, against Huddersfield. I think Bolton could get a result here. Matt? Yeah, I think they could. Yeah, I mean, four, four, uh, three wins out of four over Christmas in great form, and Gary Medine banging in the goals after I said they liked a goal scorer. <laughs> Ali, not sure Huddersfield will really care about this one, no. so why not Bolton? Yeah, I concur. All right, full full support for Bolton there. A broad grin on Joe Crilly's face. Uh, Bournemouth against Wigan. Um, I think Bournemouth will probably. If you're Paul Cook, you you don't really want to go for the FA Cup this season, do you? No, they just want to focus on the league, don't they? And uh, I mean, we should give a shout-out to George here and mention Wigan's 7-0 thrashing of Oxford over the festive period. And they've been in brilliant form, and yeah, they're just going to look to keep that, that entire top top spot in uh, League One. Ali, Bournemouth? Yeah, Bournemouth. Yeah. 
no complaints there. Um, Fulham against Southampton. Uh, Southampton plunging down the table. Um, Fulham, yeah, on their day, could probably beat anyone. Do you think this is their day? Yeah, Kamara Hattrick. <laughs> Ali? No, Premier League savvy will take Southampton through there. Right, Blackburn, Hull. Uh, Hull are just looking disarray at the moment. I can't see beyond Blackburn, Matt. Yeah, we'll definitely rest a lot of players, I'm sure, but uh, yeah, I think we'll, we'll sneak this one. Ali? I'm going to go with Hull. Ooh, really? Cheers, Ali. What, what have you seen of Hull? Or are you just well, trying to upset Matt? They, they've, got some, they've got some good players in the squad, if not a very cohesive unit, and if Blackburn are going to rest players, I'm not sure how good their reserves are, so I'm going to go with Hull. <laughs> Fair enough. I've always preferred George. <laughs> <laughs> Coventry, Coventry against Crisis Club Stoke. Don't even know if Mark Hughes will still be manager there. Um, Coventry, you know, finest hour came in this competition. Yep, Mark McNulty, eight goals in his last nine appearances as well, so he's a man in form. I think this could be close. Ali? Can I predict a draw in this? Yeah, of course you can. There you go. It's the fan league. Home win, away win or draw. Stoke will be taking Coventry back to the Britannia. Yeah, I think uh, that sounds a bit romantic, (laughs) but but not really. Uh, Newcastle against Luton. I thought possible shock here, but then I thought, yeah, it's St James's Park. Um, Luton have wobbled a little bit, maybe tired legs. Home yeah, Luton win, had it? that shock four uh, yeah. 0 defeat at Port Vale, didn't he? So I think yeah, home win for this one, and uh, Newcastle probably need a bit of a cup distraction. Yeah, I'm going to even it up in terms of having a go at George because Oxford beat Newcastle in the cup last year, so there they are, they are sort of liable to one of these. But uh, I'm still going to stick with Newcastle. All right, Wolves, Swansea. Um, <laughs> Wolves win. Yeah, Wolves win. Yeah, absolutely. Norwich, are they going to upset Chelsea? No, they're just going to probably upset their own fans. <laughs> uh, Newport Leeds. Um, Leeds slip up here? Could be. Newport, pretty good at home. Leeds, probably resting players. Let's go with a Newport win. Funny pitch, that Rodney Parade pitch that they relayed in the summer. It looks like it's tearing up a bit now, uh, which is hardly a surprise given that they share it with rugby teams, and it, it rains a lot. Uh, Shrewsbury against West Ham. Shrewsbury beat David Moyes' Everton back in the day. Uh, is he going to beat um, uh, Shrewsbury going to beat David Moyes' West Ham? Uh, I don't see why not. It's my tip for an upset, that one. Yeah, let's uh, go with Shrewsbury. You get a hard-working, hard-working group like Shrewsbury up against Premier League team, liable with, uh, for complacency. No, I think West Ham win. Fair enough. Uh, Spurs, Wimbledon, Ali? A, a very large Spurs win. <laughs> Matt? Yeah. Yeah, we'll call that a banker. And uh, can managerless Forest beat Arsenal? No. Yeah, well, anyone could beat Arsenal. <laughs> Sorry, Tails. That's Sorry. the clip. <laughs> social pool, that's the clip for social. That's the fan league. You download it from the App Store. Um, send a friend request to me. I'll invite you to join the Totally Football League League. And together we can beat Lawrence White, the current league leader. We're coming for you, Lawrence. Um, also, if you've been trying to link up with us and nothing has happened, you'll be unsurprised to learn that it was entirely my fault. Uh, I hadn't done my updates on the app, but it's all fixed now, so you can play along with us now. When we come back, it's League One. League One, then. Well, no one else has any faith in them, but I still believe that Shrewsbury will pull this off. They beat Oldham 1-0 on New Year's Day, and they'll go into that cup tie of West Ham feeling pretty confident. Scunthorpe should be feeling good about themselves, too. They're unbeaten in five, and their 1-0 win over Berry keeps them fourth behind Blackburn, only on goal difference. Why? Because Rovers were held one all by seventh-placed Rotherham. It's getting pretty packed in that peloton. Wimbledon picked up a much-needed 2-0 victory at home to Southend, who have now lost five of the last six. That's five of the last six, Ian. 
thank you. While Bristol Rovers fought back with goals in the 84th and 90th minutes to down Pompey 2-1. And it's miserable at Charlton at the moment, who lost 2-1 at home to Gillingham. What a job Steve Lovell's doing there. There was no happy return for Darren Ferguson at London Road. His new Doncaster side drew one all with his old Peterborough side. Rochdale, however, are in real trouble now. A home defeat to Blackpool leaves them languishing down in 23rd. And we'll hear more about them in a tick. Plymouth are roaring out of danger. Another win for them, this time over Walsall. And they're 16th now. Bradford stay 5th thanks to a 2-1 win at Fleetwood. While Nick Powell scored again for Wigan as the league leaders won 1-0 at Northampton. And it's still two wins in 15 matches for MK Dons, who linger perilously above the drop zone after a 3-1 defeat at Oxford. Right, let's have a look at Plymouth Argyle. A uh, lot of changes to this show, but I will fight you in real life with a sword to keep the history section, which unfortunately I must start with an apology. Uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show, I suddenly announced that Bristol was the largest city never to have hosted top-flight football. Even as I said it, a little voice in my head was like, are you sure about that one? Uh, And uh, it was complete bollocks. Uh, Bristol City have, of course, been in the top flight. Um, It was a mistake made only slightly worse by watching Bristol City Man United a few days later and hearing the commentator make exactly the same mistake, which suggests that we've got listeners in high places and also I extend my apologies to him too, if that's where he got it from. Um, Why am I talking about this? Because Plymouth is the largest city never to have hosted top-flight football, Plymouth, and I'm very sorry. The Argyle Football Club was founded in 1886, but they were crap, and they vanished in 1894, only to pop up again three years later as part of the Argyle Athletic Club. Why Argyle? Well, it could have been because of a local pub, the Argyle Tavern, a local street, Argyle Street, or it could have been a nod to the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders, who were stationed in Plymouth, and they had a pretty decent football team themselves. Either way, they went professional in 1903 and joined Division 3 South in 1920. Home Park is now in its third incarnation, having been destroyed by German bombers in the war and then demolished in rather less dramatic circumstances in the not-too-distant past during its refurbishment. It's a nice stadium too. In fact, it would have been hosting World Cup football this summer had the English FA not wildly overestimated their popularity with FIFA. But no, the closest Plymouth have come to hosting top-flight football was in 1953 when they came fourth in the second flight. And they went down in 1956. They have had some moments after that, though. Uh, Nearly 38,000 saw them beat Santos in 1973, Pelé very much included. Uh, They reached the League Cup semis in 1974, the FA Cup semis in 1984. But by the turn of the century, they're in danger of dropping out of the Football League altogether. And then Paul Sturrock arrived. He didn't just stop the bleeding, he revitalised the patient, overseeing two promotions in three seasons, though technically he left before the second one was secured. Plymouth had a good crack at it in the second flight. Ian Holloway actually had them in sight of the playoffs before he defected to Leicester. Sturrock, after a brief spell with Southampton, returned, and Plymouth survived for six seasons before they finally slipped back into the third and then straight into the fourth as the finances went down the pan. But new owner James Brent took over in 2011 and things slowly improved. Derek Adams arrived in 2015, promotion to the third division was secured in 2017 and after a slow start this year, Matt, things are looking up. Four wins in six. Yeah, it's incredible to think that they were bottom at the end of November and uh, spent three months down there in the bottom four. Lost nine of the first 12 games, only picked up one win and they've completely turned it around. 
and some great goals as well. Ali, you were showing us uh, on, on your phone last night the uh, the, the Carey goal. Uh, t- talk us through that one. Well, I think Carey's probably got the, the greatest compilation of EFL goals over the last two seasons, two or three seasons. He just scores spectacular goals practically once a month. And this one was both brilliantly League One and also world class in the sense that it was pumped forward, flicked on. You know, all well and good at that stage. When running away from goal, Carey from the left-hand side of the box sort of half-volleyed it, looping over the goalkeeper's head into the far top corner. It was just a moment of quality that you see from Carey uh, quite often. And, and as he was in League Two last season, he's a, a he's the key player going forward for Plymouth. I actually really liked his goal um, uh, in the Christmas period. I can't remember who it was by. Plymouth fans will will know. Um, Where the ball comes over and again he's running away from goal off to the right-hand side and he leans to the right and then just jabs out a left foot outside of the boot and lobs it into the top corner. Very hipster of you, Ian. You like the the lesser well-known Kerry goal. (laughs) (laughs) I knew them before they were famous. Um, Is he a player... Does he do that consistently? Has he got a future? Uh, Absolutely. And, And it was a huge coup to even sign Kerry when they were down in League Two and, and it was as far as I can tell must have been down really to Derek Adams who, who knew him from his time in Scotland and Adams uh, probably the best signing Plymouth have made even more so than Kerry in the last five years because he's shown that even if you're down in League Two if you make the right appointment someone with good contacts someone a good tactician um, someone who deals with the media mostly well although not always um, then you can start moving up the leagues and I think they were in a bit of a false position when they were down at the bottom if you look at their starting 11 now in the la- on this good run it's almost unrecognisable from, from the, the start of the season they've added Diago Raga mid-season uh, early on in the season on a free and, and that might be one of the signings in League One this season because he's a player that probably should be playing at a higher level and you know there's plenty of good players in that team Ryan Taylor is has never been a great goal scorer um, but in terms of someone who can knit together the team from the front playing with his back to goal um, he's incredibly effective and has been for, for his whole career and since he's been the sort of starting number nine letting Carey and, and Ruben Lamirez play off him um, they've done really really well um, Producer Tayo here with some numbers uh, December the 8th Plymouth are rock bottom with 17 points from 20 games January the 1st they're 16th with 31 from 26 um, with those four wins and two draws first 13 games of the season they got six points uh, second 13 games they got 25 points um, Matt what what What's happened here? Well, I think it's great to see that the club has shown loyalty to Derek Adams, actually, because um, when he was actually at, at Ross County, I, I was reading the other day, he was unceremoniously sacked by his own father. What? Yeah, his dad was the director of football. Both of them ended up leaving the club, but uh, but Plymouth has shown a bit more loyalty than that. <laughs> we should make an entire show on that. That'd be a great sitcom, wouldn't it? <laughs> Son, you're sacked again. Um, no, I watched them early in the season in November when they, they picked up that 1-0 win at Bradford and uh, that was a brilliant performance there. Really solid defensively. They scored a fantastic goal on the counter-attack. Uh, David Fox played very well that day in midfield alongside Diago Raga. And uh, I think it was two results, really, that gave them a bit of belief this season. They drew 1-1 against Shrewsbury and 1-1 against the mighty Blackburn Rovers in successive matches. That gave them a foundation and, and they've built from there. Um, Diago Raga, there you go, we've all said it right That's a clean sweep for the show, it really is New Year uh, Signed for Plymouth as free agent in October um, Only stands out, doesn't he? As soon as you start watching Plymouth, you, you, you know he's a bit of a player Absolutely, well, everything goes through him in the midfield And uh, yeah, he's been such a key addition He's one of a number of players to have left Brentford with his stock very high And probably regret that move because his time at Leeds just didn't work out at all and he's basically having to start again down in well in League One with Plymouth 
And uh, his short-term contract actually ends next month. He's been offered terms to stay, albeit only until the end of the season. Can they um, can they keep him much longer than that, or is he bound straight back up again? If he does leave, I think they almost deserve a fee because you know he, he was released by Leeds with about a week to go at the end of the transfer window, and Plymouth with a team that persuaded him to come. Um, they've given him the game time. He's back into form, so he's got a lot to thank Plymouth for. Um, it would be a shame to see him leave on a free. No doubt that there would be suitors in the Championship if he does. Oh, and that's that's like just in logistics. That's a hell of a move, and it leads to Plymouth. <laughs> You know, we always forget they're actually humans and they have to do these things. Mm. But the removal fees on that will whew, they'll be immense. <laughs> um, they get big crowds in Plymouth, don't they? Um, 10,000 on the Saturday before Christmas is fantastic. They're averaging 9,000 this season, even while they've been struggling. Uh, there's a new stand being developed as well. Um, things are things are really looking up given the financial turmoil they're in not so long ago. Yeah, I've never actually been to Home Park, but uh, my first experience of the Plymouth fans was I went to the League Two final against Wimbledon uh, a couple of years ago, 2016, when they actually lost that game. But the fans were amazing. I was I was sat in their their section actually throughout the game and really got behind a team on, on what turned out to be quite a disappointing game. But I, I was amazed by how many they brought. I think they took 30,000 to Wembley on that occasion. So so they do have a solid uh, fan base down in the West Country. And, uh, you know, you, you hope you talk about how uh, they've never been in the, the top flight. And, you know, perhaps eventually that, that could be their dream. It is a lovely ground to go to if you ever get the chance. I went down with uh, the Carlisle fans for an ESPN story a few years back. And um, it was like, a beautiful August day. And they've got this massive tent sort of round the back, a great big beer tent. It's all really, really friendly. And when the Carlisle fans got there, about um, 30-odd come off the coach, uh, James Brent actually came out and met them and welcomed them to the club and had a chat with supporters' representatives and things like that. They, I think they have some kind of like loose alliance, Carlisle and Plymouth, because they have to make those long journeys. So there, there's, a, there's an awful lot to like about Plymouth as well. We've been really nice today. It's good to see a club, we don't always say it in the FL, with such a positive atmosphere around the place, clearly being run very well over the last few years and very much a club on the up. It's funny, though, because um, early this morning I went on the Plymouth forums just to you know see what they're talking about. And, and on one of them, there was a thread suggesting that when they, uh, when, when they build a, a new road, uh, I think heading towards this uh, new stand, they should call it James Brent Way. Um, in you know celebration of all the things he's done in the short time he's been there, uh, and on the other one there was a message for James Brent. I thought, oh god, that'll be another one. And it was like, get your hands out your pockets and spend some money. Oh, sorry, <laughs> probably not in that voice. Get your hands out your pockets and spend some money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, assuming that they're not glory supporters from London. Um, they're, they're quite why you'd do that. Um, so yes, that is Plymouth Argyle. Lots of love for Plymouth, and let's see if we get through this show without any complaints. Do you want to go? Of course you want to go. There's a free car park at the stadium, but be warned, it's usually full by 2.30, and it can take upwards of half an hour to leave after the game. Thank you, Matt. Tickets are priced a very reasonable £20 for adults and a very, very reasonable £7 for under-18s. Um, not too shabby there. When we come back after the break, we'll move to League Two. League Two, then. 
Notts County and Luton Town lost together in the last fixture of 2017 and recovered together in the first fixture of 2018. Gavin Nolan's lot overcame resurgent Port Vale at home, picking up a much-needed 1-0 win, while Nathan Jones's Hatters overcame surprise promotion candidates Lincoln 4-2 in a ferocious ding-dong that saw both teams reduce to 10 men before half-time. And what was I saying about Mansfield last week? Their 3-1 win over Carlisle means back-to-back wins for Steve Evans-Stags, and they are sixth. Accrington were 1-0 up against Morecambe before Waterlog pitch forced a game to be postponed. And that allowed Swindon to leapfrog Stanley as they beat Mark McGee's Barnett 2-1. While Colchester slipped out of the playoff spots after being held to a 0-0 draw by Cambridge. Exeter are really beginning to irritate me. They're a good team. We all know they're a good team. But they lost 2-1 away at Newport on New Year's Day. They've only won two of their last eight and they've crashed all the way to seventh. Harry Kuehl's Crawley are scrambling up the table. They beat Yeovil 2-1. We'll hear more on that game shortly. And that's three wins in four for them. They go 16th, just behind Stevenage, who eviscerated Cheltenham 4-1. Mark McNulty's seventh goal in his last eight league appearances earned Coventry a 1-0 win over Chesterfield. While Crewe, Ian's pick for relegation, let's not forget, have now won three out of five, beating Grimsby 2-0 to climb nine points clear of the bottom two. But Forest Green are still in the brown stuff after losing 2-1 at home to Wickham. It's almost as if I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, Let's have a look at Yeovil then. Uh, Yeovil, founded in 1895 as the Yeovil Casuals, uh, but perhaps realising that this made them sound like a 30-strong mob of WKD swilling Stone Island wearing yoblets, they became Yeovil Town in 1907, and they merged with Petters United to become Yeovil and Petters United, and then they went all the way back to Yeovil Town after the Second World War. In 1949, they were responsible for one of the great FA Cup shocks of all time, when they beat Sunderland, who in those days were actually really good. Uh, They beat them 2-1, but it didn't go so well in the next round. They got Manchester United and got walloped 8-0. Now... Do you know why they're called the Glovers? No. no, because Yeovil was famous for making gloves. Gloves, in fact, have been there for centuries, with the first reference to Glovers coming in 1349 in a report about a group of local tanners and Glovers who duffed up the Bishop of Bath. Sadly, it all came to an end in 1989. The last glove manufacturers in Yeovil, Freak and Gifford Limited, closed down blaming cheap foreign imports. But as the glove industry died, the football began to thrive. Yeovil moved to Huish Park in 1990. They came fourth in the conference in 1993, which is as well as they'd ever done at that time. And after a brief detour to the Smithian League, they bounced back up in 1997, hired Gary Johnson, father of Lee, of course, in 2001, and entered the Football League in 2000. 2003. Got better after that. They won League Two in 2005. In 2013, they won the playoffs, earning themselves a single season in the second flight. But that is where it all went wrong. Back-to-back relegations followed, and to be honest, they've struggled ever since. And Ali, they continue to struggle, don't they? That promotion to the championship, and it seems ridiculous to say, it was one of the worst things that could have happened to them. And, and and the reasons for that are almost purely financial, which is a, a, a shame, really. But essentially, they found it so hard to compete the season that they were there. And once they got relegated, because they'd probably overextended themselves financially in order to try and compete and try and stay in the championship, um, they hit huge issues down in League One and now in League Two, losing hundreds of thousands of pounds every, every year and just financially in a bit of a tears. And now, well, now they've just become one of those not very wealthy League Two teams with a thin squad, um, 
asking their manager basically to 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 perform miracles with um with with a, a squad with a pretty low wage budget and they're finding it very very tough. I think it's been a, a really difficult few years for the fans. Um, there's been some some unrest towards the owner for sure, John Fry. And you know we've just spoken about Plymouth glowingly about a team on the up, and, and you just can't say the same about Yeovil. Um, Darren Way, the the manager, uh, I thought he was, he was very good. He had um, Harry Redknapp in as a as a sort of football advisor, um, a, a move which didn't actually result in Harry Redknapp taking the job. Which he had I think Harry my... Redknapp in as a PR stunt is what I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't he didn't sort of complain about it. There was no kind of you know there, there didn't appear to be any problems. Um, he was complaining about a lot of things on Saturday, but more on that later. Is he in trouble or is he basically doing the best anyone can do in that position? Oh, I definitely think he's doing the best anyone can do in that, that situation. He said in November it's quite difficult to manage Yeovil at the moment and uh, I think that could be understatement of the season. But uh, like Ali said, it's uh, you know that promotion to the championship was really what began the slide for them. And uh, I was reading an article by Seb White on When Saturday Comes and uh, the line that stood out for me was football league on the pitch but non-league off it. And, and that's really <laughs> where the club are right now. Yeah, they were, where they are right now is 20th in League Two. Um, they're only seven points off relegation. As we've seen this season, it's been just bursts of teams that you thought were down and out suddenly soaring back up to lower mid-table. Uh, let's talk about the game at Crawley, because um, it's absolutely extraordinary. Um, well, Matt, talk us through it. Well, Yeovil, two men sent off in the first half, and so... That's almost an impossible situation to, to hold on to a lead. And uh, they conceded, obviously, in the 98th minute, uh, Thomas Verheit, big boy. Have you seen him, the quality striker? Massive. Six foot four, I think, and uh, brought like a, a brick outhouse, or as I used to say at school, a brick horse, because I, I, I always got the idiom confused. And <laughs> my, uh, That's why he's down in League Two, to be fair. <laughs> my, my, my friends ripped it out of me for, for a long time, and, uh, and for some reason I brought it up again now. But, uh, but yeah, and it was the, the drone incident, really, that allowed Crawley to regroup, and Harry Kuehl said afterwards, uh, you know, it was a chance for me to say to the players, that's not what we told you to do. We told you to do this, and then they went and nabbed the winner, and it really was abysmal defending for that winning goal as well. Was yeah, a, was... let's, um, let, let's just uh, hear what happened when that drone arrived. To remain in your seats or understand yeah, the uh, drone will be sorted out very, very soon. The players are back on the pitch as soon as possible. Thank you. Yeah, you, you don't get a lot of that in football these days. Drones causing um, <laughs> causing the game almost to be abandoned. They, they got rid of it in the end. Yeovil fans very unhappy, as Matt says. Um, it, it clearly didn't benefit their team. Credit to them, in fairness, though, for basically doing half a game with nine men and uh, keeping the score at one all. Does that indicate some spirit there? Well, I've, what indicates the biggest spit for you over the season? They lost the first game of the season, eight two at Luton. Oh yeah. And I think you know, if, if you're a fan of a club and you see that happen with with everything else that's going on off the pitch at Yeovil as well, you just think this is going to be a long, miserable campaign. And, and the fact that they they are clear of the the bottom two at the moment it just shows what a job Darren Way's done. And yeah, there, there is spirit there. I watched them away at Wickham earlier in the the season. They only lost two one there, and they were in the game throughout against the Wickham side that are chasing automatic promotion. Uh, they've got uh, Omar Sawumni from. Uh, uh, Ipswich youth product, which which we touched on uh, earlier, their their youth set up there, and uh, he did really well against uh, Adebayo Akinfemwa that that weekend at Wigan. He was uh, at Wickham, sorry, he was um, tasked with man marking the striker, and uh, it really was a, a great battle. And, and he was obviously sent off at the weekend. And yeah, I've got to say he was very unfortunate there. I don't think there was any 
any anything. It's one of those ones we sort of ran across the back of the the on running striker, and, yeah. and he, he's gone down pretty quickly, and that's that. The the club are appealing that one, um, and and you can understand why. Uh, Somerset Live um, described the refereeing performance as dreadful. Yeah, um, I, is that fair? I didn't see the first booking um, f- for the bloke who got sent off. The first uh, Connor Smith, the first red card, but the second I thought yeah, the second was fair. pretty much cut and dry. Um, the Sawunmi one, quite hard to tell just just from the the highlights on TV, TV whether he touched him or not. If he did, then I, I suppose it's probably a red. But it did look very soft. It was just the end of a really chaotic Christmas period for them, in which they they started with wins against Exeter and Cheltenham, which was a, a great run. And then on on the evening of the 29th, they were two 0 up against Morecambe away, and then. 3-2 up against Morecambe in the 84th minute before losing 4-3 so you know at one point it was looking like three wins out of three and instead two wins and, and two losses and uh, maybe a, a bit of a loss of momentum maybe Yeah well the good news just keeps on coming for Yeovil uh, Captain James Bailey is now out for two months he was stretched off in that win at, at Cheltenham so uh, not only is form going but um, but the injuries piling up as well um, they have got Bradford in the FA Cup and like most teams, it's kind of a distraction they don't want now, isn't it? Yeah, possibly. I mean, sometimes, obviously, cup runs can generate a bit of positivity. Can you know, you can play with a bit of pressure off because you're not locked in some sort of relegation battle. It's a one-off game and all those other cliches. But you know, they've got players like Otis Khan and Fella Olamola, who's on loan from Southampton. Who, who it sounds like they're trying to sign permanently, which I think would be a really good move. Over the type of team that. Ideally, you'd be signing young players on freeze, trying to trying to basically build them up, give them game time, and sell them on. That's the way that they're going to try and punch upwards financially, and um, that that's one way of doing it. So I don't see why in a one-off game against Bradford, who might take their eye off the ball, they couldn't cause some problems. Two massive games coming up for Yeovil, but Matt, the biggest problems, weirdly, are off the pitch, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of concerns uh, on the Yeovil message boards about the, the future of the club and the, and the stadium. I mean, uh, in the summer, the, the club announced that the stadium land around it were uh, transferred to a new holding company. And the fans worry whether it's going to be sold uh, beneath the club, really. And they've, uh, they've brought in a football consultant at, uh, of Yeovil this season. And uh, he said, actually, just on, uh, on Christmas Eve, that any offers of investment into Yeovil will be considered. So it really does look bleak and whatever situation they're in in League Two this season, there's there's a real battle for the future. Well, getting back on the pitch, those two big games after the um, after the FA Cup match and the small matter of the Football League trophy. Uh, 13th of January, they go away to Port Vale, who, as Matt said, beat Luton over Christmas. And then on the 20th of January, they've got Jack Lester's Chesterfield, who were seemingly climbing out of it and are now in all sorts of bother again. So they're two absolutely massive games there. If you want to go, and you should go, the stadium car park is behind the away end and it costs two quid, but there's plenty of on-street parking as well. Adult tickets range from £18 to £23. Uh, it's 14 quid for under-22s and a very generous £6 for under-16s. That is Yeovil. Now we're moving to William Hill. Let's review the business today. Um, Ipswich, they were on the fringes of the playoffs. You know, a couple of results go their way and they might sneak in. Um, they're not now, they're 12th. What, what can I get on Ipswich to go up? They're actually the last team that we have priced up for promotion uh, at 100 to 1. Yes. Uh, so quite some way behind the teams at the head of the betting. That does seem pretty accurate, in fairness. Now, Plymouth, uh, on the forums this morning, I also encountered someone who claimed to have put some money on them to go up. 
such was his um, level of enthusiasm with this recent run of form. That that seems a pretty bold bet, but uh, where does it stand? Uh, uh, even more unlikely. <laughs> uh, at, at least we have them priced up. Uh, they are three hundred to one. Wow. Okay. And uh, Yeovil to be relegated back into non-league. Well, we did touch on the uh, the relegation for for League Two um, in the the preview show or the the review show or the prediction show. Delete as uh, applicable <laughs> there. Um, and it's so congested down at the bottom of the table that Yeovil are quite a short price at seven to two to go down. But that makes them fifth favourite so there are still four teams uh, ahead of them in the betting Forest Green now odds on having been 11 to 10 uh, this time last week all right this weekend it's FA Cup Liverpool Everton on the Friday night that's not really in our remit uh, Fleetwood Town against Leicester is um, what, what can we get in a shock for Fleetwood there uh, 19 to 5 they haven't been having the best of times no. uh, in recent weeks uh, and as as we've touched on perhaps with Yeovil this is a, a, a perhaps a distraction they could avoid um, uh, Leicester 13 to 20 I, I reckon a pretty easy win for the away side here not one of us had any confidence in Norwich beating Chelsea uh, is, is that well founded? Uh, yes, six to one for Norwich to win. Uh, Chelsea two to five. I think Chelsea, even if they do put out a few of the reserve team players, uh, uh, well, certainly the ones that uh, they still have at the club, uh, they they should be able to to win this one relatively comfortably. Uh, Newport against Leeds. I mean, you know, it, it could rain. The pitch could tear up. Any chance? Again, they're, they're eighteen to five, so quite a long price there. Um, with Leeds thirteen to twenty and the draw eleven to five. Uh, my tip for a shock: Shrewsbury against West Ham. Am I mad? There's there's worse tips. Um, we certainly That's had the nicest uh, thing anyone's ever said about my tips. <laughs> we've, we've certainly we've certainly had uh, worse tips over the last few weeks in the fan league. Um, but yeah, Shrewsbury eleven to four. West Ham odds on ten to eleven. Um, I think West Ham may well put a, a second string team out, and I think I think Shrewsbury could well uh, could well. At least take this to a replay. Uh, Matt Stanger, of course, said anyone can beat Arsenal and Nottingham Forest anyone? No. Um, <laughs> not well, that's <laughs> everyone offended, so that's the balance we're looking for. Yep, Nottingham Forest 5-1 to one to win, Arsenal 4-9 and the draw 130. I think Arsenal this season have, have shown a little more strength in depth um, with, with their squad and I, I think a couple of the fringe players again um, should be too strong for, for Forrest. Okay, that is uh, the William Hill odds. Uh, Joe, if we want to follow you on Twitter for more stuff like this. Uh, footy underscore Joe. There we go. And that is all the time that we've got. Thank you so much, chaps. Uh, Ali, where can we hear you and George again? You can hear us on Not The Top 20 Pod and follow us on Twitter at NTT20Pod. Where can we follow you on Twitter? You can follow me personally, if you really want, on at the Makalele Roll. Uh, you really should do that. I've been doing it for years. <laughs> Matt, in our New Year's enthused effort to uh, to cross-promote, anything good on the set pieces this week? Well, I'm really hoping we can continue our Everton project in the Football Manager series, but we'll see about that. Ah, Ah, yeah, that's a bit awkward. Um, <laughs> I promise I'll have that soon. Uh, yes, thank you very much as well to debutante producer Tyo, who's dragged himself in here with the back of the, uh, the, the plague, by the looks of him. Um, we will be back next week. And listen, if you like the show, we would absolutely not be averse to you letting people know. Um, write a review on iTunes. We, we like them. They make us look good. And if you want us to cover your team, um, get in touch with us. Twitter, Facebook. Paul Hankey's here now. He'll be there for you. But until then, dear listener, 
See you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.